Okay, hang on a second. Right, good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, you can. That is good. You're well this morning? Yeah. Great to see you all here this morning. Uh, great time of worship. Um, and the worship is going to continue as we uh, dig into the Word of God. Um, and yeah, I'll just echo what Adam said about the New Ground Sunday next week. Uh, if you have recently started to come to Hope Church, uh, it'd be helpful for you to just see really what we are a part of and see the bigger picture as we're not just this one church on our own based in Seven Oaks, but part of a larger family uh, and supporting those churches as well, planting across Europe and various parts of the world. So it'll be good, I promise, be, be there. Now, before I dig into Luke 23 this morning, I just asked a couple of people just to share about some stories where they've shared their faith, or some people that have shared their faith. And actually, I'm just going to ask Adam to come back and share a story that something that happened to him recently. Yeah. Use this one. Yeah. Uh, so um, we needed a new car recently. The old one, I won't go into the full details, but should we say it, it gave up the ghost <laughs> with a little bit of assistance? Anyway, uh, <laughs> we needed a new car. So um, I uh, found myself. Uh, in Chelmsford with a car dealership down there and um, I'm talking to this young man who's very much the salesman you know what I mean doing all the sales stuff on me and uh, as I'm speaking to him I'm just thinking I think God wants to speak to this guy and I don't, I don't know quite what he wants to say really but he wants to say something so he eventually then says to me so what do you do for a living so I said well I, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church Oh, he said, yeah, my uncle, uh, my uncle's the pastor of a church. I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. So I said to him, do you go to church? And he said, well, he said, well, you suddenly look quite shifty. And he said, well, I, you know, I, uh, I, I'm very busy. And, you know, I thought, okay, I think I know what's going on with you. You are not walking with Jesus, but the rest of your family are. I think that's what's happening quite quickly. So he then goes out the room. And I'm saying, right, Lord, what do I say here? I've got to say something. And I'd just been to a meeting where we'd been stirred with the prophetic. So he came back into the room. It was just at his office. It was just him and me. And I just said, look, um, Brandon, I hope you don't mind me saying I meet a lot of people. And I see real potential in you. And I think God would say this to you, that if you stick with him, he will uh, guide you throughout your life. And actually, I think he will use you very powerfully if you let him do so. And as I'm speaking, you know, there's a whoosh of the Holy Spirit. The atmosphere in the room completely changes for the good. Um, and uh, I'm thinking, oh God, you're suddenly here, thick in the room, a sense of his presence. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if he's feeling this, but I certainly am. And he looked at me and he just said, and I appreciate his salesman, but he did say, thank you so much. That means an awful lot to me. I really appreciate what you said. And then... We went on sold the car, and then I just walked away. But I just thought, no, Lord, you gave me an opportunity, yeah. and I've been able to share something, yeah. and I think it's had impact on it. Well, amazing. Thank you, Adam. Well, okay, uh, my, my friend Joe Craner is now going to come up and share the story. Let's welcome Joe, shall we? Thank you. Um, this is, isn't actually my testimony. This is uh, my boss, Adrian, who I've known for about 30 years. Um, 
I've always admired him because he is a man of great integrity and um, he always seeks to honour the Lord. And uh, on this particular occasion, um, he moved into his house and he uh, wanted a sizeable extension on the side of his house. And he got the services of Brian the Builder. And Brian gave him this quote and at the end of it he said, well, it's this amount, but uh, if, we, if you pay me cash, um, we can forget the VAT and uh, it'll be a lot cheaper for you. So Adrian said, well, actually, I'm a Christian. I want to pay the VAT, which is quite a challenge to all of us, really. But he said, I want to pay the VAT. Um, as far as I know, that was the only conversation that he had with him. Like maybe they had others but during that time, but he didn't see him for quite some years. Um, and then some years later, um, Brian has got cancer. He's in hospice and he knows he's dying. And he starts thinking, what's going to happen to me when I die? And Adrian comes to mind. <laughs> so he calls him up and Adrian comes in with his Bible and a, a tract showing him how to give his heart to the Lord. And Brian said, I knew that you would come and tell me about Jesus. So we just thank God now that Brian is with the Lord. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I just want to stir us, really, with stories of faith sharing. Because as we go on, we're sort of still in a pandemic, but things are starting to feel slightly different. As we move forward, we believe this is the answer to the world's problems. And actually, it is our individual responsibility to share our faith. So I think just over the coming weeks, I'll just encourage us to be sharing these faith stories. What we're going to look at this morning is truth. And we need to share the truth. The world is in search of truth. And we have the answers within us. So I just thought that would be good to stir us as well. I'm sure I will reference those again in a little while. But we are getting nearer to the end of the Gospel of Luke Uh, Over this next month, we are looking at the point where the whole of human history revolves around. We are reaching a climax of our three and a half year series of the Gospel of Luke. And I urge you to study this, what we're looking at. Read it in your own time. Read other books about it. And these are times, as it always is, where we can remember and rejoice in our salvation. Remember what a sacrifice our Lord Jesus went through so that you and I could be free. These are significant words that we're looking at this week and in a couple of weeks' time. Today we're looking at the end of the trial of Jesus. He's been up all night, he's been uh, arrested around 1am and it ends in our reading today around 6am. So far, our Lord has been arrested. He's been shoved around. Uh, He's been on this mockery of a trial. He's been spat on. And the indignity of being treated this way. So he's been spat upon. He's been on this mockery trial. I, I, I don't know if you've ever been treated badly or if you've ever been spat upon. It is not a pleasant experience. I have been spat on a few times, mainly on the football pitch. Uh, occasionally in a nightclub. This was all before I was the leader of your church, if you believe tonight. <laughs> and before I was a Christian. And it is not a pleasant experience. 
uh, Jesus has been found innocent by Pilate and Herod. There were kind of six stages of the trial of Jesus, uh, six parts, three stages in this religious court, three stages before a Roman court. Uh, Jesus was tried before Annas, the former high priest Caiaphas, the current high priest, and the Sanhedrin. He was charged with blasphemy, claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah. Um, these trials before the Jewish authorities uh, show to a degree the hatred of which the Jewish leaders had for Jesus. They carelessly disregarded many of their own laws. Several illegalities involved in these trials from the perspective of Jewish law. There was firstly no trial to be held during feast time. This was what was happening. Each member of the court was to vote individually to convict or acquit. But Jesus was convicted by the crowd by acclamation. Uh, the death penalty, if it was given, a night must pass before the sentence was carried out. Only, however, only a few hours later, Jesus was placed on the cross. The Jews had no authority to execute anyone under Roman law. The trial was to no trial, sorry, was to be held at night, but this trial was held before dawn. The accused was to be given counsel or representation, and Jesus had none. Every step that has taken place so far has shown us that justice has not been served. And while all this is happening, Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of old from Isaiah 53, standing silent before his accusers. So, let's dig in. Luke 23, we're going to go from verse 13 to 25. Uh, the words will appear on the screen, but it's also good to read your Bible in your hand. So, Luke 13, 23, 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addresses them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Wow. Then after that, in two weeks' time, we pick the story up, and Jesus heads towards Calvary, towards the cross, towards his death. We've got several uh, different things happening here with different characters. We have, of course, Jesus. We have Pilate. We have the crowd. And we have this man called 
Barabbas. Let's just take a, a look at Pilate first of all. He's the fifth Roman governor of Judea, serving under Emperor Tiberius, ruling over Jerusalem. Adam talked about last week how the Romans liked to bring their law and order, and it was a thing of pride for them. But Pilate was from the beginning uh, of his reign in Judea. It started with difficulty. He was pushed into a corner. This is from history books from outside of the New Testament. Uh, after trying to assert his authority at the beginning of his term, he rounded up people in an amphitheatre in Caesarea because um, the people had been harassing um, Pilate to remove these idols of Caesar, of the emperor. They didn't want any idols worshipped as deities. So, you know, they were doing something, right? But the people harassed him, Pilate, harassed him and harassed him. They followed him from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and finally, in frustration, he sends word to them and says, meet me in the amphitheater. They think we're going to get our audience. So they gather in this amphitheater. Pilate comes, sends his troops into the amphitheater, surrounds them and says to them, you will all be slaughtered by the sword on the spot if you don't stop this harassment and go back to Jerusalem. Now, historians tell us at this moment, Everyone in the amphitheatre pulls down their garments and says, cut off our heads. Just quite a moment here that happens for Pilate. Well, even Pilate could not massacre defenceless people on those terms without severe ramifications uh, from the rest of the population and severe ramifications from Caesar. Quite such a stupid thing would provoke a huge response. So he backed off at that moment and it was established who was in charge, and it wasn't Pilate. And he, I'm sure he would have hated them for this humiliation. Later on, Pilate feels that the water supply in Jerusalem isn't adequate enough, so he thinks, I want to in improve the water supply. People like, okay, Pilate, you're doing a good job here, you want to get better water. Well, he pays for it by plundering the temple for money to pay for it, money that would be given to God. Well, the people, as you can imagine, did not respond very well to this. They were irate, they rioted, and Pilate responded by sending his soldiers into the mob, and they clubbed and stabbed many Jewish people to death. This is a cheerful one this morning, isn't it? So there would have been this level of animosity that was very high between Pilate and the people. And it's important for us to understand the history that has led us to this moment. Pilate is in a difficult position from our reading today, and he is found wanting and he is weak. He's ignoring justice, thinking only of his position. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. He said it three times. He tries to release Jesus. He says in verse 14 and 15, after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. So this is already fulfilling Jewish law. Deuteronomy 19 says truth has to be confirmed in the mouth of two witnesses. Two witnesses, two judges, two unbiased judges who had said not guilty. 
Pilate said it three times, not guilty. For he is an utterly impartial judge. And as is Herod, Pilate doesn't care what happens to Jesus. He's not interested. Herod once wanted to kill Jesus. So these two are not friends of Jesus rendering a biased verdict. They're indifferent and hostile, but rendering an accurate verdict. What amazes me about this uh, as well, Jesus is found innocent, but Pilate then says, I will therefore punish him and release him. Hang on, you've just said, I find him innocent, so I will punish him and release him. He's trying to appease the crowd. He thinks, oh, maybe, you know, just a quick beating, whipping will, will sort of suffice. Luke doesn't focus either on, on uh, he doesn't focus on what happens at that point between him being released by Pilate and going to the cross where he is, um, goes through scouring. And it's the act of bearing the victim's torso and having them whipped. He's stripped and stretched, the victim will be stretched against a pillar, arms tied high above them so they can't defend themselves. The back would have been stretched open. And there was this wooden handled leather whip with many strands and at the end of them had iron and bone. And relentless blows would be given against the skin and rip the flesh and muscle, even down to internal organs. Yeah. This is just painting the picture here of what actually happened to Anne Wood. Yeah. So devastating was it that so that many victims died just from the scouring before they even got to the cross. Mark and John Gospels tell us about it more in detail. Even at the end of this false trial, um, Pilate uses another Jewish tradition by washing his hands, it's in Matthew, um, of his innocence of a murdered man's blood. That comes from Deuteronomy 21. You can look these things up in your own time, I'm sure you will. Um, Deuteronomy 21, verses 1 to 9, talks about the, the leaders in Israel washing their hands openly to declare their innocence of the blood of someone. This has become a tradition, a way to demonstrate their innocence. So Pilate here is using this symbol at the end of this trial to say, this is not my verdict. This is yours. And so far, every Gentile who has weighed in on this finds Jesus not guilty. And he says, see to it yourselves, it's in your hands. Onto the hands of the crowd, the kind of second character, if you like, who respond in a damning way. First, their response in verse 18 says, they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. We see in Matthew that Pilate here is trying to fulfil a custom that he has uh, begun at Passover where he would release a prisoner to um, maybe try and appease the city a bit. What we see here now though is a larger crowd is now present. This is no longer just the leaders. The city starting to awake, as I said, it's around 6am and we see the fickleness of man. And we see the fickleness of the people who days earlier were hailing Jesus as the King, the Messiah, as he rode into the city. 
So Pilate looks to invoke this tradition of releasing someone, hoping, I think, to release Jesus. But the crowd shouts, away with him. The determination, the hatred of the crowd here is clear to see. And throughout the Gospels in the account of the trials, they aren't simply happy with Jesus being punished, they want him executed. We see some shocking responses from the crowd here in, in the accounts of the other Gospels. In their fury and virulent hatred of Jesus, they damn themselves with terrible statements. Matthew 27, 25, they cry out, His blood on us and our children. Wow, that really struck me as I was preparing this. They're damning themselves and generations to come. Yeah. It was a, a day of preparation for the Passover, about the sixth hour, 6 a.m., that's how they've calculated it in uh, Roman times. And a pilot says to the Jews, Behold your king, the final kind of mockery, the scorn. And they therefore cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate responds, he says, shall I crucify your king? This is unimaginable. The ultimate apostasy, hypocrisy. The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. How corrupt can they be? What hypocrites. They wanted Jesus dead so badly, they were willing to align themselves with feigned allegiance to a false god. The involvement here of the crowd shows us how we are all capable and responsible for turning our backs on Jesus. Some people actively reject Jesus, while others do it passively. And we, but what we mustn't do is fall into a shallowness of conviction where we sort of believe in God. We think Jesus died and rose again. We must remind ourselves as we're going through this over these coming weeks, some month and a bit, Jesus actually died. Jesus actually rose again. Yeah. Yeah. He knows the very worst about you and I. He knows our deepest, darkest thoughts. Consider that for a moment. But yet he died for you. He died for me. And we see grace abound in the picture of the last character, Barabbas. We know very little about Barabbas, other than he was named as a thief in John. He was thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. He'd already been found guilty, but has now been set free. It is a possibility that the two criminals either side of Jesus were his henchmen. A possibility, not a definite. But we start to see the amazing grace through the first person to find freedom from Jesus' death. We see Jesus and Barabbas up for this possible release. 
There are too many ironies here to miss. Barabbas' name means son of the father. Bar means son, Abba means father. In the book of Matthew, we learn that his full name was Jesus Barabbas. Yeah. Tim Keller points out we have two Jesuses in our story, both son of the father. Yeah. Yet they could not be more different. One rules by taking the lives of others, the other rules by giving his own life. One wants to overthrow the king, and the other is the rightful king of the people. One is guilty and will be set free, and the other is innocent and about to be killed. The real son of the father, who is innocent, will go to his death. Jesus was going to be killed for the kind of crime that the man set free actually committed. The ironies continue. Jesus literally took Barabbas' punishment for him. Jesus even marched to his death as Barabbas would have. He marched willingly and quietly. And yet it wasn't because he'd lost. Jesus wasn't outsmarted by his opponents. This was not a mistake or an accident. It was not plan B in God's eternal plan of salvation. The crucifixion of the innocent Lamb of God was God's plan from eternity past. Right back in Luke 9, I'm sure you all remember Luke 9 when we preached on that. (laughs) You've all got the notes in your phones and your notebooks, I'm sure. Luke 9, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. He was on mission. His whole life was moving towards Calvary, towards the hill where he would die. His life was a march towards that cross. He lived to die. Jesus once said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. The Jews chose the wrong man. But the Lord put forward the right one. That's the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You and I are sinners, and we sit in a spiritual prison, bound, helpless, awaiting the day when we will receive the just punishment that we deserve. We sit on death row, the death row of all death rows, waiting to be dragged out to death, not knowing when God's righteous judgment will come down. But the good news is that when you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus to save you, Jesus goes off to the cross in your place. Hallelujah. That's the good news. He gets what we deserve. And we get what he deserves. It is the greatest exchange in all of history. Jesus gives up his life so that we can have life. And as we read on through the New Testament, we see God's abounding grace. 
We see the sinful individual, Barabbas, go free. He died for the individual, but he also died for all. We see later in the New Testament in Acts 3, Peter and John have uh, healed someone by the temple. And everyone is amazed. And Peter turns to the crowd and says, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers is glorified. His servant Jesus. The one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life. The one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And it's on the basis of faith in his name is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has been given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. We kind of wrap up our thoughts today in Acts 3. This is crucial. There's been this man healed by Peter and John. The people are full of amazement. Peter speaks about this in the verse 2, about the 12, about the miracle. And in verse 17, he says these amazing things. Acts 3, verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. This wonderful verse in 19, repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be blotted out, wiped away. Do you mean God would forgive those who screamed for the torture of Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes. There is no sin that he will not forgive the sinner when the sinner repents. When Peter preached that, there were already 3,000 believers in the city of Jerusalem who had repented and been saved and forgiven and given eternal life on the day of Pentecost. There were thousands and thousands more in the city that would come to him. That is grace. Yeah. Grace. That the reason Jesus died was to provide the grace that can be offered to the one who is guilty. The ones who were even guilty of crucifying Christ. And before we move on in a few weeks to the crucifixion, Make sure you have laid down your own sin at the foot of the cross. Grasp the scandal of the gospel. Know that is what the world is in need of. That's why we need more stories like Adam and Joe's. Because it is a scandal. Who knows where that story goes with the guy that Adam spoke to. It may end, hopefully with him not dying, but with him coming to Christ. Just by saying one thing. 
Job's boss, Adrian, just said a few things. I am a Christian, and it led to eternal life. Can I encourage you? Can I stir you up? Let this truth bubble up and come out of you, whoever you are with. This is what the world is in need of. There is nobody out of the reach of God's grace. We might have Barabbas-like characters that we think they do not deserve it, but there is no hole too deep that his long arm of grace cannot reach down and save them. This is a famous story. People being set free. As Jesus is delivered to death, Barabbas is released into new life. The first substitution of the cross. The innocent Jesus condemned as sinner while the guilty sinner released as if innocent. Share the story. Share the good news. I've I've got another little book giveaway this week. Three books on evangelism. There's not many, so again, you'll have to be quick. Why don't you come and take it to stir you up for your heart for the lost? Luke, it appears here, means for us to identify both with Jesus and Barabbas. In Jesus, that by identifying with him, through being united with him by faith, his death is our death. His condemning of sin is our condemning of sin. And Barabbas, in Barabbas, in that we are sinners, criminals who have broken God's law, guilty as charged, deserving death for our rebellion, against our creator and the ruler of the universe. And Jesus, through the grace of giving himself on the cross, takes our place and we are released. You should be very excited about that this morning. As we understand these depths of our sin, we see with Luke, with Barabbas. I'm the one so clearly guilty. Deserving of condemnation, but set free, hallelujah. Because of the willing substitution of the Son of God in my place. He said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let us pray that we are able to share this news. That as we go into new seasons, a new year, We will proclaim, the Son has come, the Son has died, he has risen so that you may have life. Let the gospel transform you. Let it change you, let it renew your mind. You don't get saved by the gospel and then move on from the gospel. It's transformative. It's of most importance if you live this and it renews your mind. When you're down, when you're full of self-doubt. No, you're a child of the living God who paid the price on the cross so that you could be free. That's what your identity is in first other than anything else. Let this, what we've looked at, drive you towards mission and worship. What grace, what a saviour. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
I didn't ask the band, uh, they're still here, David Cape, do you think we could just sing again that song, um, the old one? Yeah. <laughs> Great are you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Yeah. Why don't we stand for a moment? Just as the band come, we have a moment here to just respond, to put ourselves before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Where are you right now before God? Have you repented from your sin and turned to him? can do that right now. Why don't we just all put our hands out. We can just thank him for saving us, for dying on the cross for us. Why don't you just start to give thanks to him now where you are. And if you haven't ever done this, ever repented or turned from your life where you've chosen for you to be the God in your life. Like Kate said earlier, he tries to save himself sometimes but it doesn't work. But he has saved. And you can come to him right now. You can just say these words in the quietness of your heart, if you like. Just after me, you can say, Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross for my sin. I now repent to turning. What it means is to turn from your old life. I repent now, Lord, and give my life to you. Please now come and take first place in my life and fill me with your spirit and help me follow you. Oh God, we are in all that we, the guilty, might go free, that we can stand redeemed, forgiven, set free before the throne of grace. Lord, what we've looked at this morning, let it drive us towards worship of you, the King. Let it drive us towards mission and sharing the truth of God. I pray that... Now, for my my friends, my brothers and sisters here this morning, will you come and fill them afresh with your spirit? Will you let it stir up in their hearts, Lord, their love for you? Let that love overflow now in Jesus' name as they go out into their daily um, places of work, of families, of schools, Lord with friends and family, let it overflow and let them share the truth of God. He has died, he has set us free. Hallelujah. Bless worship.